as a long-standing trainer, speaker, coach, advisor, I get asked to do some, I feel, interesting things for various organizations. And I was thrilled to accept the request from the province of Ontario's Office of the Fire Marshal to help them out with their fire investigators to hone their media awareness training and capabilities. So this podcast is for anybody who is a fire investigator and has to sort of stick handle how to deal with the media because that is part of your job. And it's not something that most people know how to do or do effectively or strategically. And that's really just because you probably haven't had any need to. So it's my intention with this podcast to walk you through eh, probably 10 or 11 key steps to help you navigate dealing with reporters as part of your job. So one of the first tips that you may have heard from more seasoned colleagues or out and about is remember that the mic is always on. <laughs> that's, that's a really important one. It's probably one that people know the most. I'm going to be doing a much, much deeper dive than that though, but that's just a quick one off right away. Remember the mic is always on. Remember you are never speaking air quote off the record. Everything you say to or around or near a reporter or a camera person, expect that could be aired and played. Okay, so let's go into why. Why do we even care really about how to do this, how to do it right? When you're representing an organization such as the Office of the Fire Marshal, you have to have credibility You want to gain public trust. The public relies on you to share information. So you want to make sure you're doing it to the best of your ability. It's also important to know how to manage the media because you want to control the narrative so there is no misinformation. And this is really critical when there's an emergency, when there's some sort of disaster, catastrophe some sort of horrible incident. You want to control the narrative because if you don't say something, you know someone else is going to, whether it's a neighbor, some sort of a witness, or maybe the media is just going to roll with what they think. So you want to control the information. The way to manage any crisis is to manage the communication about the crisis. So that's the why. I want to talk about sound bites next. Sound bites, or sometimes they're called a grab or a clip. And these are phrases that you're probably used to just from your day-to-day work that can be used effectively during an interview. So make sure you're reviewing these all the time and not just in your head. You're actually saying them just saying them once in a while so that you know where to insert them in any conversation. Let me give you a few examples of a soundbite or a grab or a clip, and you're going to know 
what scenario best fits what sound clip. Never throw water on a grease fire. Obviously, that's going to be one that you could use during an interview about a kitchen fire where it started with grease and someone accidentally or erroneously tried putting it out with water. Clean your dryer's lint filter after every load of laundry. So obviously you would say that if there was a fire that started in the laundry room and in the dryer. Make sure your family has a fire escape plan for your home and practice it regularly. Here's another one. Home fires can spread in as little as five seconds. What about smoke alarms should be installed on every floor of your home? So if you have a wide variety of these sound bites ready to go, you're just going to know over time and just in conversations with people, but you'll be able to naturally add these into a media interview as you see fit. You'll be able to add them in context. So I know you know a lot of these, but make your knowledge work for you to help as you're interviewing with the media. I want to talk about answering hypothetical questions from reporters. Isn't it that, is it true that a neighbor reported that? When a reporter starts off with questions or phrases like that, you can bet that those are hypothetical in nature. There's no basis for them. So it's your job to stick to the facts. If something is incorrect, you say, nope, that's not right. Stick to the facts and avoid any sort of speculation. Now, these are tense situations, and sometimes when you're on scene, there's tragedy. And it's a reporter's job. They're looking for the scoop. They're sharing that information. That being said, they might be coming on a little strong sometime. They might just keep digging and digging. In fact, you should probably expect it. It's your job to keep your cool. Remain professional. Do not be defensive or confrontational. Even if that interviewer is a little aggressive or the question seems unfair, because if you come in hot with your answer, you're the one who's not going to look good in the interview, and you're actually going to be doing a disservice in terms of representing the office of the fire marshal. So keep your cool, keep professional at all costs. So let's talk about if you're asked something that you don't really want to answer. We call that redirecting or controlling answers using a bridge. You bridge your answer. So essentially, that's acknowledging the question and then shifting to a different topic, something that you really want to say. So let me give you an example here of what a bridge could be. So a reporter asks something and the investigator doesn't want to or can't answer it or thinks the reporter has the wrong emphasis on that question. So as a, a fire investigator, you could say, I understand what you're asking. However, we are currently more focused on and then blah, 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 whatever it is you're more focused on. 
or if it's a valid question they're asking, but it's not really the right question, you could say something like, that's absolutely an important question. However, for the purpose of our investigation, we're placing a greater emphasis or importance on and then segue to whatever it is you want them to know. So you're acknowledging their question, even though you're not going to answer it, you do acknowledge. Because again, if you're just sort of not acknowledging and without that acknowledgement, the public's going to say like, oh, they're hiding something. So you always have to acknowledge the question, let them know you heard them, but then that doesn't mean you can't go on and control what it is, the point that you want to make. So we call that bridging. That takes practice, by the way. People don't normally, most people don't normally have the ability to do that. So that's something you have to work on and think about. And that will come over time too. So let's talk next about body language during these interviews. And I'm going to talk about the 738-55 rule. What the heck's that? When we communicate, 7% of our communication is sent verbally. 38 is vocal, so that's how we say it. And 55 is visual. It's what we look like. It's what we're doing. So let me reverse this for you. 93% of communication is nonverbal. So we want to make sure that we are not shifting or swaying or squinting or wiggling eyebrows or scrunching noses or chewing gum. We want to make sure we're not sneering and snorting as we're talking. We want to make sure we're not looking away, looking shifty or sketchy. You know, you watch enough crime shows, you see that uh, when somebody, they say, looks, you know, down to the left, they're lying. You want to make sure you're looking at that person interviewing you. You want to make sure you're looking at them right in the eye. So think about how you're standing what you're doing with your hands, uh, natural hand gestures are okay, but you do not want to be flapping your hands all over the place. So this is something that unless you practice, look at yourself in the mirror as you're talking, run some sample or practice media interview or just informal speaking videos, you don't always know what you're doing. You're not always aware of how you come across when you're talking in a professional context. So this is going to create, this is going to create an opportunity for you to become aware of it. And you're absolutely going to have to practice this. So it starts with just being aware. Only 7% of communication comes out of our mouths. Okay. Let's talk about trap phrases. So these are sneaky. These are manipulative. And, and I know people who say this just in day to day conversations. They're, it's, it's not only the media who does this. They'll say something like real quick or just before you go. They want you, they want to catch you off guard so that these spur impulsive responses, something that maybe you weren't planning on saying. Did you spill the beans? Did you, were they able to 
get something out of you that through the other questions they've already asked you and the answers you gave is just going to maybe quickly catch you off guard and trick you into giving a little bit more information. This is what they're constantly hunting for. So be aware, I call them, and other people also call them, trap phrases. It's usually at the end of the interview. Actually, be aware of those (laughs) media or not. I think it's really manipulative when people say those. Real quick is the big one. When you hear real quick, someone wants something from you that they probably know they shouldn't or it's not right to be asking of you. I want to let you know that at no time will you ever say no comment. You always have a comment. If you don't know information, it's okay to say, we don't know at this time, but we'll get back to you. When you say no comment, once again, that instills uncertainty in the public eye. And uncertainty usually translates into distrust. And it's your job to share information. So it's perfectly okay to say, we don't know right now. We're currently investigating. We'll let the media know as soon as we find out. Okay, let's talk about remaining neutral. So sometimes there's controversy in some sort of element of the story. You want to stick to the facts. You're not going to take any sides. Let's talk about the pregnant pause. So that sounds kind of funny. The pregnant pause happens when the interviewer, the reporter has asked you questions and you've answered. And in what you believe is probably the final question or a significant question, it doesn't really matter. They've asked you something and you've answered and you think you've given a good comprehensive answer, but you're done speaking. The microphone's still in your face. They're staring at you. They're not saying anything. They want to create a climate of uncomfortableness. They want you to think, Oh, wow. I'm nervous here. I, 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 I should say something else. I should just keep babbling. It's a trick. When they're staring at you, here's what I want you to do. You stare right back at them. (laughs) You don't say a word. You make your point and then you stop talking. It might be uncomfortable the first time you do it, but trust me, it's worth your while. You don't want to have to retract something. You don't want to say something that wasn't properly investigated or it wasn't supposed to be released, or you didn't know all the facts and it wasn't accurate at that time. So it's a trick when they ask you a question and you've answered and you know you're done, they're staring at you saying nothing. That's okay. Let them stare at you and say nothing because you're staring back at them and you're also saying nothing. And they're going to, they're going to edit that dead air out. That's okay. Don't worry about that. So let's talk about next. And this is a, this is a really big one. They're asking something that's inappropriate or you can't say it. You're not authorized to say. And usually these are sensitive matters. You know, maybe there's been loss of, of, of livestock or maybe there's been loss of human life. And you know, these are tragedies, but they want the scoop. Only say what you're authorized to say. 
And if they keep digging and expect them to keep digging, it's okay to have a few phrases in your toolkit to help you navigate these sort of scenarios. In these situations, when you feel like you're kind of being backed into a corner, I'd like you to harness the value of the word because. Because is a very powerful word to use to help you answer without actually really giving too much detail in your answer. An example, because the damage is extensive, it's going to take some time to determine the exact origin of, of the fire. We are aware that there was a working wood stove within the home. And so then you can use a bridge. I'll take this opportunity to mention the importance of having your chimneys regularly checked for creosote buildup. Okay, so we answered starting with because and then we bridged to make it a, a public service announcement to help other people avoid disaster. Because our primary objective is to identify the origin, cause, and circumstances surrounding the blaze, I can't speculate how many artifacts were lost or how long it'll take before the shop is back up and running again. So there's another example starting with the word because. You can also use phrases like naturally or as one might imagine or understandably. Understandably, I can't release any names until the next of kin have been notified. When you use words like because or understandably, these really can't be refuted. They can't be argued. They, it's very difficult to challenge them. So you're stating whatever it is you're authorized and legally authorized and professionally authorized to say, but you're not giving out confidential information or sensitive information you're controlling it is what you're saying, regardless of what they're asking. So this kind of brings me to the final point I wanted to make. Regardless of what you're being asked, make sure you acknowledge what they're asking or you know, you're acknowledging that they're asking you questions. But at the end of the day, make sure you get your message out whether it's about the importance of electrical work or whether it's about the importance of dryers or smoke detectors or whatever the case is, candles. Make sure you get your message out regardless of what you've been asked. This takes time. It takes practice and you might not be very confident at first and that's okay. That's natural. The more you practice, the more, you know, you listen to a podcast like this or review materials about it. If you have any guides or if you're someone who's been in one of my media training courses, the more exposure you have, you're going to get more confident in this. So I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Career Podcast with Audrey Prenzel. Please feel free to share this podcast with someone else who could benefit from it. Thank you in advance for that and leave comments and hit subscribe. If you'd like a PDF copy of my book, Military to Civvy Street, 
a transfer $20 to audrey.prenzel at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download it. Although I'm not writing so much anymore, I am available for coaching and training to help you or your organization achieve whatever goals you're looking for. Email me, audrey.prenzel at gmail.com. You're welcome to follow me and message me on Instagram and Twitter. Look for Audrey Prenzel. Life can be challenging. Until our next episode, purposefully take good care of yourself.